Today we're continuing our series, we're finishing our series, Surrendered. When you hear that word, surrender, it kind of has some negative connotations, doesn't it? Nobody wants to surrender. Does anyone want to surrender? We don't want to surrender, right? We want to win. We want to have victory. Surrender is like, why do we want to raise the white flag? Why do we want to talk about giving up? Surrender, right? If we get surrender, that means we have to admit we're, we're weak. Sometimes surrender just means we lost, right? Nobody wants to be a loser, right? Anyone with me this morning? Right? We want to win. We don't want to hang our heads in humiliation and say we give up and, and we couldn't quite make it and now we, we feel defeated and it's over. We have to surrender. So why are we talking about surrender? Surrendering to our best life. What could that possibly mean? Well, you think about surrender, it's this idea of, of, of letting go. And when we think about surrenders, who are you surrendering to? Right? When we think about sports, we think about, yeah, we lose or we surrender. Or we think about war, we give up, and now we're going to get conquered. But who are you surrendering to? Sometimes I get this image of, of a parent comforting a child that's throwing a tantrum. Ever been there, either as the parent or as the child? <laughs> Sometimes we still have tantrums later in life, don't we? They don't, they don't just stop when we're, we're kids. There's things that we just want to have our way. I remember being a kid in, in the toy store, you know, uh, gr growing up. Was, was KB, was that one of those toy stores in the mall, was that? Wow, that just came to me out of nowhere. I, I don't, do they even exist? I don't know, still. But I'd, if, if I got in a toy store and I went to the Matchbox or Hot Wheels aisle, I just, like, got locked on on one of those. I just, I just wanted it. I remember, like, kicking and screaming, like, want, I wouldn't want to leave until, unless I got one. But I remember my parents, like, wouldn't give in, especially if I was throwing a tantrum. That was, like, the definite answer no, right? But sometimes we, I think about, too, our kids at times where, where there have been battles that have been fought and just sometimes holding a child that's throwing a tantrum. You ever done that, ever seen that? And it's like they just want something. And eventually what happens? There's a moment of surrender. There's a moment where the fight is over. There's a moment where that comes where there's just a relief, and, and sometimes it's, it's hard fought. Maybe it doesn't even come the first time, but over time, and there's something beautiful that happens in that moment, but what's happening is that child isn't giving up in a sense of losing. The child is gaining something. It's gaining the love and the connection. It's already receiving the love that the parent has been trying to give, and it's who is this child surrendering to? And when I think about, you know, my surrender as a kid to maybe not getting the matchbox car in that moment that I demanded, that I wanted, but knowing my parents want to give me so much more. And they provided me and so, for me in so many better ways. And, and at different times of birthdays and Christmas, I got so much more than a, than a matchbox car. But we get hung up on these things because we don't want to let go. We don't want to surrender. We don't want to give up. But what if raising our white flag is actually where real life can begin? where there's a, there's a whole life on the other side of living in that surrender. Jesus said, right, very concretely, this, this foundation of what we're talking about, if you hold on to your life, what happens? You will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find true life. That's where you're going to find life. It's this, 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 this upside-down principle of the kingdom that, that the more we try to hold on, we talked about in the first week, two weeks ago, clenched fists, right? The tighter we try to hold on, the more we try to control our lives and get it the way we're supposed to go with the things we think we want. We hold on tight. In the end, we can end up losing everything. We lose it. But Jesus says if you give up your life, if you surrender, if you live with open hands, you're going to find true life. And that's what we're after, right? We want true life. We want to experience that life. And so last week we talked about what's the, or two weeks ago, what are we holding on to? What's the one thing that you're holding on to? And it was great in our life group. We just uh, got the chance to connect and talk and not just say, oh, that was a great idea, talking about clenched fists. But what is it that we're holding on to? 
What are those things that we're struggling to let go? And how do we surrender those to God and say, God, I'm going to live with open hands towards you. So, clench fists, you lose everything. Open hands, we can receive. But what I want to talk about today is not just living with open hands, but how do we live in the overflow? What does it look like to live life in the overflow, living in that overflow of life? Just as you picture that, so many times in life we go through life trying to hold on, but what would it look like to live in the overflow? Live with that kind of abandon. Live with that kind of generosity. Live with that kind of open spirit towards other people and towards God and to watch God's blessings come and to watch God's blessings flow through us and to be like, God, you're filling me and I can pour that out to others. I feel like I'm full and I can give to others. How many of us are feeling like we're living in the overflow? I would venture to say many of us feel like we're living in the emptiness. We're living poured out. We don't know what is left. And I wonder, is it because we're trying to hold on tighter and it's just sucking us dry? To live in the overflow, to receive. I tell you, this message has been challenging me all week. How do I live in that overflow? There's a verse in the Bible that we read in Malachi. It says, God is speaking to his people, and he says, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour in a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Don't we want that? That kind of a blessing that God's saying, man, I just want to open the floodgates of heaven. I want to pour out so much blessing on you. You're going to be like, ah, I don't have room for all this blessing. Where do I put it? What do I do with it? I might as well give it away. Here, you can have some. God, you giving me more. I just got this endless supply living in this overflow. Do you know the context of that verse? <laughs> tithing. <laughs> don't worry, I'm not talking about tithing today. The whole message is on tithing. But that is the context of this message. He's saying, but you're withholding from me. You're not willing to give me the 10%, the first part, because you have to hold on to it. And, and what I'm ready to do is I just want to pour out blessing. I want you to live in the overflow, but you can't let go. Would you trust me in this? God's got this, I imagine this, this, this floodgate in heaven, these doors that are like bulging open that they just want to like open up, but he's just waiting for us to unleash and say, just trust me so that you can receive. But if you're going to hold on, it's going to slip away. I want you to live in the overflow. One of the problems that we have from living in the overflow is that we live with a scarcity mindset. The scarcity mindset. Let me talk about what this means, the scarcity mind, mindset. Because we can't live in the overflow with a scarcity mindset. There's three things I want to talk about real quick just to kind of set the framework before we get into to, to what God's word has to say to us here. Living with a scarcity, scarcity mindset. The first thing is we think about a limited supply. I think so many of us, we live with a limited supply. As, as a matter of fact, our economy is based on this, right? Supply and demand, right? And what happens when the demand goes up, right? Or supply goes down, demand goes up, prices, inflation, all this stuff. But when you have a scarcity mindset, there's not enough. There's a limited supply. All I have to say to you is two things here. Toilet paper 2020. <laughs> right? What happens with a scarcity mindset? There's not enough to go around, not even enough toilet paper. Yet, if we probably brought all the toilet paper you know, that we had in our houses, we could have covered everyone. That's all right. Let's get that mental image out of our heads. Here, that's a, that's a bad example, bad example. But listen, toilet paper, right? Scarcity. We see these situations. It was hoarding. It was holding on to scarcity mindset. When there's not enough for everyone else, right? Then, then I have to go and get mine, right? But in our own lives, I think when we have, you know, how, how much easier is it to be generous on payday than it is at the end of the month? Especially if you're living paycheck to paycheck, right? When you're flush with cash, it's like, oh, yeah, it's great. I know that if I want to eat any of my wife's fries, I have to ask when they first, the order first comes out. If we're down to the last couple fries, 
my life is in danger if I grab any of those fries, all right? Because it's easier, right, when you have an abundance, right? Ask your kids to share when they have a full bag of candy. Sure, they're likely to be more generous, but it starts getting a little less. Oh, scarcity, right? It's this limited supply really can, can hold us back. And when we think about scarcity, we think about this limited supply, it's hard to be generous. It's hard to live in a magnanimous way because I have to hold on to what I've gotten, which is the second point. It's all up to me. If you have a scarcity mindset, it's all up to me. I got to bust my butt. I got to do, I have to get mine. I have to hold on to it. We say things like, you know, each man for himself. You snooze, you lose. The early bird gets warm. Those are, and those are good, at, you know, good, good ways of approaching life and, and, and working hard and doing what we can. But we feel this burden, we feel this pressure that it's all up to me. If I don't produce, if I don't make the ends meet, it's not going to happen. And so in a, in, in a world where we have the scarcity mindset, of course, we have to do those, those things. But when there's this idea that there isn't enough to go around, right, then we're going to hold on to everything, that, chance that we get. Think about an empty par a parking lot with just one empty or two empty spaces, right, and you get there first. How many of us just go like, no, no, let the other car, right, when two cars pull up? No, no, you can have it, right? There's that, there's that scarcity mindset. There's only one or two parking spots. I got to get mine. I have to get in there. There's a limited supply. You hear it with inheritance bat battles all the time with families. Oh, there's a pot of money coming or something if you're blessed with a relative that left you something. But now these battles, oh, it's not fair. I got to get this part. I got to get my part. And I got to get mine. The third thing is it's never enough. There's a limited supply. It's all up to me and it's never enough. How much is enough? Just a little bit more, right? Right, the candle of just, uh, the, the, the carrot dangling in front of us of just a little bit more. If I could have just a little bit more. And so we're driven by that security. And we look at our bank accounts, we look at our checking account, our savings, we're going, how much, how much do we feel that freedom? Scarcity, as it gets lower, it gets tighter, some unexpected expenses, and we start getting clenched fists. It's living in that scarcity mindset. And when we live with that idea, there's not enough to go around, I've got to work to get everything I've got, there's never enough. We live in a small capacity. And God's going, ah, I just want to bless you. I want you to live in the overflow. How do we get to that point? The upside-down kingdom of God's at play here. The more and the tighter we hold on to, the more we lose, the more freedom we have, the more generous we are, the more God blesses. You can't live in the overflow with a scarcity mindset. So I want to look at the Word of God to give us a different perspective. How do we live not in that way where so many of us live, but how do we live in the overflow? If you turn in your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 5, 1 to 11, or if you're on your phones and you have the Bible app, Luke chapter 5, verses 1 to 11, and I would look, uh, most of the time we use the New Living Translation here, the NLT, if you're looking at different, uh, which English translation we're using, and I want to read the story to you, and then we're going to go through it in more depth. Luke 5, 1 to 11. One day, as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him, listening uh, on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them there and were washing their nets. Stepping into the one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there, right? The crowds were coming in. It was tight. It was closed. The fishermen had, were fishing. They were already washing their nets. They had their boats. Jesus steps in. He goes back, and now he's got an opportunity to teach, and now the fishermen have to wait for Jesus to finish teaching. They have to listen to him because he's in their boat, but they went ahead and did it, and uh, so the story goes. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, now go out where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. 
Master Simon replied, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing, but if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And this time their nets were so full of fish, they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat, and soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. Jesus replied to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. Heavenly Father, as we look into your word today, as we think about living surrendered, God, as we hear this amazing story, story that some of us have heard from our childhood and learning in Sunday school, and God, we want to be captivated again by who you are, and God, what is possible when we live our life surrendered to you. Open our hearts today so that we could learn to live in the overflow. God, we give you this time in Jesus' name, amen. Our nets are empty. <laughs> so we hear the story, as we think about the story, this is one of the key things that we begin with here. Luke 5, 5, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. I'm trying to get in the head of Simon, trying to think about what was going on in his mind and the other fishermen's mind. I mean, there were a couple of boats, they'd been out, this is what they do for a living. They, I mean, they work hard, they understand what this is all about. They have a simple equation, fish equals in income, all right? More fish, more money. No fish, no money. I don't know what kind of bills Peter uh, you know, had to pay. Simon Peter, if you're wondering the name, Simon Peter. It's the same person, Simon, later. Jesus called him Peter, and even in the story, refers to him as Peter. But what, what did he have going on at home? What was happening in his life? What would happen to you if you worked and did the thing that you were supposed to do, and you worked, you worked all night, you worked hard, or this was your catch for the week, and your paycheck rang up zero? Some of you in sales might know this scenario, right? <laughs> Right? You work hard, you're doing what you're doing, but he understood that, that income, it's his responsibility. He's got to provide for his family, there's security, it's about his future. This is about his effort, this is what he has to put in. It's his responsibility, he has to work to catch fish. And he didn't catch anything. And which is crazy, because you know these guys have done this before. This is what they're experts at. This is their profession. They know how to catch fish. They know where to go. They know where the fishing holes are. They know which waters are. They, they, I'm sure they follow the patterns of, of where fish go. They probably communicated between different boats. Hey, they're over here. Now they're here. I, but nothing that night. Have you ever gotten to that place where everything you've done, everything you know how to do comes up empty? Again, don't just think financially. Don't just think work. But you've done everything you can in your marriage, but the net is empty. You've done everything with your kid. You've poured into them. You've tried to teach them. You've tried to raise them. You've tried to do everything you could, and it comes up empty. The net feels empty. At work, you've been trying to work for a promotion. You've been giving it your best. You've been working hard, but it comes up empty. You're trying to kick the addiction. You're trying to work through something in your life, some, maybe something from your past, and you come up empty. Our nets are empty. We can put great effort forth, but nothing to show for it. I wonder if some of our nets are empty today. Financially, maybe some of our nets are empty. Relationally, some of our nets are empty. Maybe spiritually before God, you're saying, I don't know, I'm trying to, to, to grow in my faith, but my net feels empty. That's the situation that Simon Peter found himself in when Jesus steps into his boat. He must have been exhausted all night, fishing nothing. They're cleaning their nets. They're ready to go home, trying to tell their family the reality. Nothing today. Didn't catch anything. Can you believe it? But 
Jesus steps into the boat and begins to talk. And afterward, here's what Jesus said, right? Jesus calls us to go deeper in Luke 5, 4. Now go out where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. It's hard for me to imagine that Simon may not have been insulted at that moment. Right? I mean, we're, you think about our own lives. We're in control. We're doing it. We're working hard. If somebody comes in and, that I don't even know, and all of a sudden that, you know, that who, who, let's say, does something completely different than I do. Let's say they're a car mechanic, and they come in and say, Mark, this is how you should run the church. Go back in there and do this. And I'd be like, what? Simon must have been thinking, Jesus, you're, you're a rabbi. You're a teacher. You're like in this religious world. What do you know about fishing? Who are you to tell me what I'm supposed to do? I mean, I'm the expert here. I'm the one who knows what to do. And trust me, if I didn't catch anything all night, ain't nobody catching anything all night. I'm an expert at this. Simon must have struggled with this, this challenge. Maybe his own pride, maybe even in his own manhood, his ego. Who's this Jesus calling me to go now? Go and let my nets down in deeper water. Jesus, you catch fish at night. That's why we're done now. Now during the daytime, they're not where we can get, get to them, whatever. I don't know the reason, but Jesus said, go into deeper waters and let your nets down again. I wonder if we have that fear when Jesus says, you know, and he calls us into deeper water, and we're going, ah, I don't know. Come on, I've tried. I've done my best. But Jesus said, no, try again. Go a little further. Go a little deeper. Lean into that a little more. I've got something there for you. Don't give up. Don't quit. This is not the end. It is not over. There's so much more for us. And I think this is a moment where Peter's having to, to, to this, this open hand, this clenched fist open hand moment, right? Will I let go of the nets that I'm washing now, and will I throw them out again into deeper water? In Luke 5, verse 4, he says, but if, then Simon responds, but if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. Jesus calls us to let our nets down again. Give it a shot. What do you have to lose? I mean, it's not like he's not going to catch less fish. <laughs> I mean, he's already at zero. What's he got to lose? Well, he's going to go into deeper water. Go and try again. But, but what I want us to notice is look how Simon's, Peter's focus changed. What did he say earlier to Jesus? He said, you know, we've not caught anything. Where's the attention? We. We've tried. We've tried all I can. I've caught nothing. But if you say so, but if you say so, who's calling you into deeper water? Who's telling you? Who's calling you where to go? And I'm sure in that time, we don't know what Jesus was teaching. It doesn't tell us in this moment. But what Simon heard, something there was compelling in Jesus' voice. He even calls him master after that. He's, he understood there's some power, something about Jesus that was different. So we're considering who is asking you to trust him. It's Jesus. The creator of the universe, the son of God, is calling you into deeper water, saying, take another step. If you say so, I'll do it. Now, I'm wondering if Peter is rowing out there while he trusts that he's going, oh, man, I know this is crazy. I'm sure these people out on the shore think I'm nuts here. The fishermen heading out again. How embarrassing. I don't know. But something compelled him. He took the step. He kept going. He kept going. Then we read in Luke 5, 6, 7, their nests were so full of fish, they began to tear. What did they do? He, he, he went out. He went into that deeper water. He cast the nets, right? This is about experiencing the overflow. Because he did that, it took a step of faith, throwing an empty net over the side of the boat where he'd been before, where they'd fished before, what they'd done. But this time, he's trusting God. He's listening in to what God said. And we see something amazing happen, experiencing this overflow, right? It's not only like, oh, hey, I got one, or I got two, or, oh, this is a nice, this is a nice haul. 
A full net. The nets are almost tearing. Pulls it into their boat. Their boat's about sinking. Pulls it into another one. A boatload full of fish. Two boatloads full of fish. Right? There's an overflow. They're experiencing, you, they couldn't possibly have handled more fish because they were on the verge of sinking. And I think the contrast of absolute zero nothing caught to the absolute maximum capacity of what this boat and these boats can handle to overflowing. Do you see the contrast? Is Jesus is trying to make a point here in Peter's life. Trust me. Trust me. You try to hold on, you're going to lose. But if you let go, if you surrender, if you live in this overflow, watch what can happen. And this massive contrast goes from scarcity to abundance. There's not enough. To there's more than enough. There's an abundance. And ultimately what's happened is they were awestruck and amazed. How many times in your life have you been awestruck and amazed? I guarantee you, when we live with clenched fists, we're not awestruck and amazed very often. When we live tight, when we live small, when we live stingy, when we live in that kind of way, Luke 5, 8 to 10, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh, Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. For he was awestruck. His partners were also amazed. He comes face to face, and, and when, we're, when we're in that moment of just experiencing the power of God, there's something in us that, that reminds us of just how small we are, and, 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 and Peter's aware of his, his sinfulness. And just going like, how can a good God, a generous God, how can Jesus even be around me when I think small, when I'm selfish, when I'm sinful? And he just falls to his knees, and it's an act of worship, because he's just amazed. Life transitions. Do you see the surrender falling to his knees? That's an act of surrender, isn't it? It's giving up in that moment, saying, wow, God, I'm just amazed. I am awestruck. I know I shared this story not too long ago, but I'll give you a Cliff's Notes version of this because it just, it just uh, fits so well for me about this story that I experienced in my life when, when I was leading a church. We planted a church. We'd started a church. We wanted to buy our first property and, 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 uh, and a house that was on it. And it was just going to be a place where, where we could at least just have offices and some midweek gatherings, some small groups, and, and we'd still have to worship somewhere else. But, but it was a big step for us as a church. And this place finally went on sale after, you know, it was a, in, in a season where, if you remember back in like 2008, 2009, right, the, the economy was crazy, the, I mean, the housing market, and, and, uh, and we had this opportunity, we thought, to buy this house, because it was going to go into foreclosure. And so we rallied the church for several weeks, we raised money, we had pledges, we were like trying to figure out how are we going to get this. We, we, I remember gathering on the property in a big circle, praying over that, and just believing this is what God has for us. And did everything possible to get to that point. And, and when the moment came where we were ready to make the offer to the owner, he refused it. And we raised the offer, and he refused it again. He actually let the house go into foreclosure. And we were like, what in the world? And what we heard during that time was that as a lot of these houses went, went into foreclosure, they were, they were, they were taken by, by banks in mass, by the hundreds or thousands, and, and just lumped into these, these, these categories of debt and whatnot. We, we were told we were probably never going to have a chance at this house anytime soon. It's just gone. It's off the market. And so imagine getting up in front of the church. I had to get up that, that one Sunday and say, you know what? Nothing. All the stuff, all the praying, everything that we worked through, I got, a, got up in front of them and said, it, it, it's gone. It's gone. It's over. I'm sorry, I don't know what to tell you, but um, back to square one. I remember sitting that, that following week, dejected on my back porch, kind of the wind out of my sails, and my phone rings, and it's the realtor uh, who's part of our church, and she said, Mark, you won't believe this, but the house is actually going up for public auction two days from now. But here's the thing, to, vote, to, to be able to bid on it in a public auction, you have to be able to pay the full amount in cash within 24 hours, 
and, uh, and you don't know how high it's going to go up in, in bidding. But the opening bid is, was extremely low. I was like, okay, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know anything about auctions. I don't know anything about bidding. I don't know where to get that amount of money together. I started making some phone calls, and wouldn't you know, within two days, I had enough cash on hand to make a pretty decent bid on it. And so I, I, you know, I didn't have an agent or anything to, to, to bid for me. Like Our realtor didn't do that. And so I was like, all right, I'm going to go up. Go show up at the courthouse steps on that Friday. And I did and took one of the, uh, an, an intern that we had with me. And there we were watching these guys bidding. It was like Storage Wars, if, or if you've ever seen any show like that, right? They're bidding on properties and houses, and they've got their agents, and they're on phones, and like, no, no, he wants to go a little more, the person I'm representing. And we didn't know when our house would come up, and, and, um, and the day was passing along, and, and people were bidding each other up. And again, I, I, the story I love, I, I want to tell more of it to you, but there's so many cool things that happened. But long, longer story short, we got to the end of the day, and... Um, and I knew a couple people had been interested in, in uh, bidding on the house, but when they had conversation and talked with me, and they actually started pulling out and said, all right, we won't bid. And I didn't know who else wanted to bid. We were literally the last house that day that was, gonna be, that, that was coming up to bid. And as that time came to bid, um, everyone else started packing up. And the only one that was still left on the courthouse steps was the auctioneer, me, and our intern. Everyone else left. And so the auctioneer says, I'm opening the bidding, right? And he started off, it was $86,000. It was like, this was like a third of where we began or even less than before. It was like ridiculously below what, what we had thought we would do. And I was prepared to go way higher than that. And he said, $86,100. And I'd learned and observed all day what the rule, how to do this. And so when he said, all right, do I have an opening bid? I was like, plus one. That's, that's what I learned. You just have to go $1 more than what was there. Plus one. And he said, all right plus one, and going once, right? We got the little, uh, the little dust balls, you know, going through the, what are they, uh, tumbleweeds, yes, yeah, see, it's, I've been too long away from Arizona, don't even know what it is anymore, tumbleweeds, crickets, right? Going twice, going three times, sold to one community church. I couldn't believe it. And our church was not even aware. A lot of the people at church had no idea because the Sunday before, I just told them, it's over, it's done. And I'd secured some of the money from some people that would loan it to us short term and we would figure it out. And, and so I went that, that day and I went and I got the key, paid for it in full. How cool the next Sunday to stand up in front of the church and go, guys, do you see this key? <laughs> we actually own it outright. This is ours, right? I mean, in a, in a way that, that was lower than anything we had thought that we could even imagine. God blessed in that way. And I just checked it out on Zillow, and now it's six and a half times the price of what we paid for it back, back there, right? I mean, it's this example to me of this idea of coming empty nets, doing what we can, coming to a point of surrender and just saying, God, all right, if you tell me, I'll go back out into deeper waters. There's one example, one story. What could God do? And just to be awestruck, to be amazed. And so many times I think we're not amazed in our life because we don't risk, because we don't put out before God out there and say, God, I'm going to take a step. I'm going to trust you. I want to just see what is possible with you. Because if it's only what's possible with us, chances are we're not going to be awestruck and amazed very much. But when we surrender to God, what is possible? And then in Luke 5, 10 to 11, from now on, you'll be fishing for people. Jesus calls them, right? And it says, they left everything and followed Jesus. They understood that following Jesus would lead them to a life where they would be even more amazed. I mean, I think if we were Simon Peter, maybe if I was Simon Peter, I'd be like, dude, I'm keep, keeping this Jesus around. Where are we fishing tomorrow, right? <laughs> like, this business is going to boom. We're, we've, got, we've got a ringer right here. This guy can bring in the fish. Instead, he actually left the fishing business in that moment. 
He left this very thing that, he, that he's built his life on, that he's supporting his family with. It was a crazy move, but, but they saw something. If God can do this, if Jesus can do this, God, I give you everything. If I just had to give you two boats and my net and a little bit of time, what's possible if I surrender everything to you? And Jesus called them into deeper waters again. We're going to experience this as we fish for people, as we see life change, as we help other people live in the overflow, other people experience life to the fullest in Christ. This is what I want to give myself to. And that's exactly what the disciples did. It makes me think of the, the verse in, Ma- in Matthew 6, where Jesus said, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. It's what do we put first? Where do we put God? In what place do we set him? You cannot live in the overflow with a scarcity mindset. To live in the overflow, we have to have what? An abundance mindset. An abundance mindset that comes from how we see Christ, how we understand God's role and place in our life. And so how do we shift from that scarcity to abundance? Now, as we think about the story, as we think about the Bible, here, let's look at these, these quick shifts as from, compared to where we started. You move from a limited supply to an unlimited supply. Peter could only think about the fish that he could catch in a net, and Jesus is going, I know all the fish in the sea. I know where they are. I created them. I, 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 it's all in my hands. The Bible says he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. God owns everything. This God of abundance and generosity, the God who created the universe. We send telescopes into space, the new web telescope. We're seeing things we've never seen before. And, and did you see, did you see that, they, that, that they finally saw the end of the universe? It's like a big black wall. Did you see it just ends the universe? Could you imagine? We've reached the end of the... Somehow, this God, this unlimited supply, right? It boggles our mind, but, but that's how it begins to change our thinking when we think about God in all of his abundance, sending his only son to die for us. Full redemption on the cross, unconditional love, unmerited favor and grace to forgive no matter what, to promise you life and eternity with him. Abundance. It is the nature of who God is. We have to move, secondly, from it's all up to me to God will provide. Now, it doesn't mean we just sit back and don't do anything. God still gives us the means. He still called Peter out. You have to row back out there. You have to put the nets back out there. You still have to do your part, but it's not only up to me. When I follow where God leads us, God will provide. When Jesus sent out the disciples to, to heal and to cast out demons and to do those things, what he tells them here in Matthew 10, 8, he says, freely you have received, freely give. God is ready to give freely. And he's asking you, if you're going to receive freely, I want you to give freely. And that leads to the next point. It's never enough, that's the scarcity mindset, to more than enough for everyone. And that's a whole different mindset. And when we as the church and we as followers of Jesus begin to realize there's more than enough for everyone. There's more than enough for me, and there's more than enough for everyone. We start understanding what it means to live in the overflow, to go the extra mile. Just like in the Old Testament, when Jesus told the Israelites, he said, I'm going to bless you, and you're blessed to be a blessing. It's not just a blessed to receive and to hold on to, but it's blessed to receive and to pass on, and to let go and to let God move. Even in Proverbs, in the Old Testament, 1124, it says, one person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. This principle is being played out all the time, and, and, and I was telling some folks today and, and, and this week that this this whole idea, this whole scripture of living the overflow is challenging me. It challenges me because I tend to live with a scarcity mindset. I gotta, I, is there enough? 
What do I have to do? What do I have to hold on to? If I let go of this, God, will you come through? And I, know, and, and I step back and I go, God, you've done this in my life over and over and over again. Why do I still struggle? Why do I struggle to, to surrender and let go? You've proven it to me time and again. There's more than enough. And finally, that move is from clenched fists to open hands that we've been talking about all along. And it's this idea of trusting Jesus. What can he do through us? I think to Simon Peter being in that boat and then walking with Jesus to, for, for three years and he's seeing this play out in his life and he watches Jesus die on the cross and he raises to, to new life and, and there's another story of an amazing catch right after that, uh, the resurrection. But then we read a story in Acts where, where Jesus has now gone to heaven and Peter's going to the temple with, with John. And as they go into the temple, there's, there's a man who's, who's paralyzed and he's begging for money and he's asking for, for help. And, and listen to Peter's response and think about it in light of what we've just talked about. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. Do you see a man who's living in the overflow in this moment? It's not just about, can I just catch a couple of fish? Can I do a little bit more? It's about, and I, it's not even about the money. It's not even about the stuff anymore. I'm going to give you, I'm going to live out of this overflow through the power of Jesus in me and what he's doing in my life and what I've experienced. I can give freely to you. And this man stands up and he walks. He's transformed. He has changed. Peter has learned to live in that overflow, to live with those open hands. The question is, are we ready to go into deeper waters? Or are you just going to keep holding on to the empty nets? And keep trying harder, keep trying harder. Or is it going to go, God, where are you calling me to go? What do those deeper waters look like? Of surrender to Jesus, of faith in him, of trust in him. To allow him to provide, to provide for you, it's, it's listening to his voice. To live in that overflow, it requires surrender. There's moments where maybe, like Peter, you're just so overwhelmed and you fall to your knees and surrender. In that moment, God transforms our hearts, our lives. If you've ever surrendered your life to Christ, those of you who have done that, who know that, that there's this moment where it's just, it's like that child that's been fighting and just finally resists and falls into the arm of God and says, I'm not going to fight anymore. God, here's my life. I need you. God transforms and he changes you. And spiritually, there's a rebirth that begins to take place, a new beginning. And life begins to flow out of that surrender and letting go. Maybe overcoming fear, overcoming doubt. We're going to be entering a season of surrender as a church. We've been talking about renew beginning next week. As, we, as we've, you've heard, we're going to be talking about the renovation of our facility. But this is a much bigger process. Because I believe for God, it doesn't, I mean, if we just slap some paint on the walls and do some new carpeting, that's going to be great. It's going to be really nice. But we're just going to be in the same place where we, we, we are right now, which is great, but we want to see God doing more, don't we? We want to see God bringing life change. We want to see God renewing this world. This world needs a vital and vibrant church, understanding people who are living surrendered, who are living in the overflow. And for us to do that, we have to come to a place of surrender, not just individually, but together as a church. And so we're going to start this 50-day journey of renewal, 50 days where we're going to spend time in God's word, We've created a daily devotional, which I'm excited to be, we're going to give this out to you today already. It begins next Sunday, so bring it back next Sunday, put your name on it, take some message notes. Every day there's a, there's a, a scripture and a chance uh, you know, to reflect and some thoughts. And as a matter of fact, our, our, our staff, our pastors will be doing a daily devotion on Facebook Live uh, starting on Monday, October 3rd, just a few minutes every morning to, to connect us as a church, to, to go deeper, and to really begin to open our hearts to say, God, what do you want to do in us? 
and to, to peel back the layers and to go deeper with him as we walk this journey over those next 50 days. God, I'm going to surrender to you. What are you calling me to? What are you calling us to as a church? One of those things we're calling us to beyond the scripture is prayer and fasting. Now, if you're like me, you hear prayer and fasting, all of a sudden you're like, ooh. Sorry, I'm a pastor and I say that. Because we don't want to fast. You know what fasting means? It means to give something up. And the last thing we want to do is give something up. I like my good meals, right? I like the things I do. And, and, and fasting says I'm going to give up something that I like. This seems counterintuitive. Why would I do that? It's in order to open us up to receive something more. It's in order for us to say, God, I'm surrendering something that I love, something that I crave in order to let you know and to remind myself of what I crave even more. What is a deeper longing that I have that, that isn't going to just be satisfied by my daily Coke or my daily coffee or my Facebook or whatever those things are, right, that, that, that meets some kind of need. We're saying, God, I want to go deeper, and I want to create some space. And so that's why I want to talk to you about that today already, because as we head into this season beginning next Sunday, I want you to be thinking about this next week. What is it that I want to give up? What's something I can give up during these 50 days that's going to remind me daily that I want to pray for God to do something big in me and in our church? I want to pray for that renewal. In addition to that, we're going to be fasting every Tuesday lunch as a staff. Every Tuesday at noon, uh, our pastors, normally we, like, we go out to eat. Most of the time you'll catch us at Wendy's on a, on a Tuesday at noon. Um, we're giving, up the, we're giving that up. Big sacrifice on our part. Your, spirit, your, your pastors are spiritual giants, I'm telling you. Um, <laughs> Hey, it's a big sacrifice now. But what we're going to do is we're giving up our lunch. We're, we're taking time to say we're, we're going to spend this time. We're going to gather here in the worship center every Tuesday beginning on October 4th. And we invite you to join us here or wherever you're, you're at on Tuesdays to fast lunch, which means eat your breakfast, whatever is fine, or, or, but skip lunch and don't eat again until dinner. And every time you feel that hunger, you feel that, you're reminded to pray and to ask God to go deeper. If you can join us in prayer wherever you're at or here, we welcome you for that. All that information and more is in, is in this uh, daily devotional that, that, that you'll pick up today, and we'll have them available again next week. Um, we'll also have a digital version available if you join online. But it's a chance for us to take this journey to go deeper and to surrender and say, God, what do you have for us? And I believe on the other side of that, living in that overflow is going to be a powerful picture of what God's going to do in us. And I want to invite you to surrender, to surrender to the best life that God has for us. Again, I don't know where you're at spiritually. Maybe your first step today is to say, God, I, I need to begin my journey with you. I need to take that step of faith and my doubts and my fears and my questions. God, I just, I lay them down and I surrender my life. Give me new life. I receive your forgiveness. I for receive your grace. Here's my life, Lord, and watch what begins as you pursue that journey and experience what it means to live life in the overflow. Let's bow our heads in prayer. I just want to encourage you to, to, to sit with your hands on your, on, on your knees and open palms, just, just palms face up wherever you are, just, just lay them there. Even that posture, doesn't that just change even the way you're thinking about prayer? This, this image of receiving. God, I want to receive what you have for me. I'm letting go of the things, God, that are holding me back. But also, God, I want to I wanna give. If I extend my hands, God, if I open up my hands, I, wanna, I want your blessings to flow through me to others. Heavenly Father, as we come to you this morning, we've, we've heard your word. We got to re-encounter this amazing story. This trust that 
Simon had something in your voice, something in your command, something in who you were, Jesus, that compelled him to say, yes, I will go out again. I will put out into deeper waters. And Father, what he discovered there changed everything. He fell to his knees, got in surrender, and, and you picked him up and showed him what life really could be like. Father, help us to let go of things that are holding us back from full life with you. Help us to see you move in us in a powerful way. Father, for those that are wrestling with taking a step with you today, God, may they put out into those deeper waters and just surrender in this moment, saying, God, I give you my life. Here it is, Lord. You are the Son of God. I put my faith and my hope and my trust in you. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins and for giving me new life, eternal life, everlasting life, life in the Spirit. We thank you, God, that you're still changing lives. And Father, I pray for us as a church, as we begin this journey of renewal and really seeking you and going deeper into uncharted waters, into deeper waters where, God, we want to see you move through our church. God, fill our, our, our hearts, fill our church, fill our, our lives, God, with people that we can introduce to you and to see that life change and to have that impact in our community and world. Move through us, we pray. We trust you, God. God, we want to see you move in those powerful ways as you have in the past, as you continue to do. Lead us forward, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.